Well, good morning, Gateway family. To those of you in the sanctuary, if you'll make your way to your seats, those of you in the gym watching in, we're grateful you're here in the next building and part of the community on campus. And those of you watching from home, we're so glad that you're tuning in as well. What a blessing for us as the church to gather together in person here and at home to worship the Lord together. And I am thrilled that we all get to be together this morning. Just one announcement for me before Drew comes with an announcement for the youth is we want to say a special congratulations to our member Marilyn Chappelle. And we have an image on the screen for you to see. Marilyn is our newest seminary graduate out of Gateway. Marilyn has finished her seminary training. Yeah, Marilyn, we're excited for you. Marilyn did a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies from Birmingham Theological Seminary. It's a really solid seminary based out of Broward Presbyterian Church in Birmingham. And she graduated Friday night. There's her with her husband, Johnny, who's one of our deacons there in the lobby of Briarwood on Friday night for her graduation. So we just want to do a big shout out as a church family to Marilyn to say, Marilyn, well done on that. We love seeing people want to go so deep in the Word of God that they just can't help but want to study more. And so if any of you guys here in the gym or at home are interested in learning more about where you can do seminary or take classes to go deeper in biblical studies, I would love to chat with you about opportunities for you. But Marilyn, congratulations on behalf of the family at Gateway. Drew? Just a couple of uh, announcements related to students. First of all, tonight we will have life group at our home at 6 o'clock. And Wednesdays during the summer, we are on a rotation meeting in different homes every week. And we've got a schedule out for that. If you do not know where we're meeting each week, you can text me and I'll be glad to get you the information, the addresses, and would love to have you. That's also at 6 on Wednesdays. Two weeks from tomorrow, we'll be leaving to go to our summer camp down at uh, Laguna Beach Christian Retreat just outside of Panama City. And uh, actually, the deadline for that has passed. But if somebody has not signed up for that already and you would like to go, please let me know that today so that I can make space for you and we'll be sure uh, that we've got a spot for you and we'll, we'll work it out if you can let me know of that today. And I would ask the congregation just to be praying for us as we prepare uh, over the next couple of weeks for that. Be praying for Lee McBride who will be coming and leading us and teaching uh, during that time and be praying for Ashley and Jake as they're going to be leading us in worship uh, during that week. That'll be July the 13th through 17th. Let's stand together this morning. We're going to read our call to worship coming from Matthew chapter 11, verses 26 through 30. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's worship Jesus together this morning. the 
Jesus reigns, 
work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? For the God of ages, he stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken and I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And hallelujah, praise the one who said, It's grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ. My living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. Broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body, it began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave, it has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe out of the silence.
has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Let's give the Lord a prop offering that he deserves. We praise you, Lord. God, we thank you for that declaration. In a day and age where this world literally seems hopeless, we declare that and the fact that you are our living hope. You're the source of life. You're the source of peace. You're the source of faithfulness, trust, righteousness, holiness, majesty. It's all who you are. And Lord, we can confidently declare that today in the midst of wearing masks in a sanctuary and all the turmoil that's going on in the world, the uncertainty, the lack of peace. God, you are all those things. You are the one that's going to set things right. You have set things right. You will continue to set things right. And that's why we're here this morning, (laughs) to come and worship the one true source of all things, to lay all things at your feet and say, God, we don't have the answers, but you are the answer. And Lord, we thank you for those declarations this morning, the life you bring, the salvation you bring, the hope you bring. We are here because we trust you, you are good, you are faithful, and we just are in awe of your majesty this morning. And Lord, that's why we can come faithful each week and bring these petitions before you, these situations, these individuals, and know, God, you're going to hear our prayers, and we entrust it to you, whatever the result, knowing that you're faithful and your attributes are good and loving and kind. And Lord, as we continue to do each week, we cry out for your mercy and for the state of our nation. Lord, we continue to ask for healing and protection during this pandemic. God, we continue to ask each week that you would eradicate it, that it would be gone. Lord, you could blow this thing out of here instantly, and we don't have to deal with it ever again. But we entrust that to you, but you do ask us to come before you and ask. So we put that before you, Lord. And Lord, in the same context of healing, you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. You have not stopped being God in that way. You continue to bring healing, and your power comes and moves. And on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ, Stephen Hillary and Chad and Kelsey, and for their precious newborns, their little babies, Lord, we just come before you as they're both still in the hospital and and getting stronger and looking for situations um, with the doctors to bring healing and some insight on things. We pray, God, that you would touch them right now in Jesus' name, Mm -hmm. that your healing power would come, and that they would feel your comfort and your peace and that you would restore those little ones and strengthen their bodies, God, and just know that they have a faith family that loves them, that's standing in the gap for them, and we're here, God, to see this through in this journey with them, Lord. And God, we thank you for Savannah Barber. She's been a faithful member here, and Lord, we celebrate and acknowledge today her 15th year anniversary with Child Evangelism Fellowship here in this community. We pray, God, you continue to bless her and provide for her and strengthen her as she takes on leadership responsibilities as she does, and Uh, doing also missions work down in Lowndes County for the Montgomery Baptist Association. We pray you bless her and her family, her husband Peyton and her children. And we just thank you so much for her and her life and all that she's done in this community to reach children with the gospel. And we just ask you to bless her today. Lord, we thank you for our extended family in Montgomery. And Lord, we lift up Frazier United Methodist Church as they've been appointed with their new pastor, Dr. Chris Montgomery. Lord, we pray and lift him up, his wife Emily, his son Uh, Eddie Ray, Lord, as you brought them from the northern Alabama area here to Montgomery to serve and shepherd in this community. 
We pray that you would bless them and, and just help them in this transition time, Lord. I know there's a lot on him with that church and all that they're a part of in this city for your kingdom. We pray that you would give him strength and peace and guidance uh, in the transition time and just bless them as they get settled in uh, to the, our, their new adventure here, this new part of the calling you have on Chris's life. And we thank you, God, for bringing him to this city. Lord, we continue to lift up Pastor Mark. And uh, we're going to put, body. if you want to look up briefly, a couple pictures on the screen. As we've been praying over the past few weeks, this church that they've been working on, Lord, we thank you for the progress that they've been making as you provided a truck to bring cement and blocks and things up the mountain to build this church. And, Lord, as they're looking to build a home for this precious family, this mom and their two daughters, Lord, just to give us a reality check of, the money we send them to help provide, Lord, this is the fruit. And we thank you that we can partner with Pastor Mark and this work in Haiti of what you're doing and providing not just homes and a church, Lord, but the gospel itself, the beauty, the greatest gift of all, the salvation that comes through Christ. And, Lord, we thank you for Pastor Mark, his wife, and their ministry. We pray you continue to provide the resources they need. Protect them, Lord, from COVID and any sickness and continue to keep them strong as he fights daily, Lord, in a dark place to bring the gospel to that nation. And Lord, we thank you that we can pray for the nations. You've asked us to do that. You've mandated it. And God, we thank you we can pray for the unreached people, the Malay Creole, this island nation of Sri Lanka, where this tribal people are. And even though they practice some Sunni Islam, Lord, they also worship spirits and ghosts. They kind of merge this together. And Lord, it's a dark place. And, Lord, many of them speak English, so we pray, God, that missionaries will strategically reach them, bring in Bibles, the Jesus film, other resources in English for them to be able to reach them with the gospel. And, Lord, I know Sri Lanka has Christians in their community, so we pray that they would specifically go to the Malay Creole and reach them, God, to be salt and light and to be set apart in that area to bring the gospel to this people group. Lord, we thank you again for your provision. We thank you, Lord, for the offering that will be given today. And those that have given online, you are so good. We have been so blessed even during this situation. We thank you for your provision and all that you blessed us with. We ask you to bless that today. And lastly, Lord, we thank you so much for our pastor. We thank you, Lord, for Grady and his shepherd's heart to love us, to serve us, to protect us, to feed us, to just be there for us every time we need him, Lord, to bring comfort and strength. We pray you fill him afresh with your spirit this morning as he comes to bring your word, that, God, you will speak clearly through him today. He is so faithful to study. I love during the week just hearing him come in, and we talk about the sermon. He shows me his notes, the beautiful rainbow that it is, and we just thank you, God, for his faithfulness and how much he loves to teach your word. It is contagious, God, and we thank you for him. We ask you to bless him this morning as it comes forth. And, Lord, we continue to say, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, come, move, convict, challenge, enlighten, reveal yourself. God, we just pray that your word will come forth and we be changed because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you this morning. And for those in the gym and those at home, so thankful we get to gather together. I want you to find James chapter 3 this morning. James chapter 3. Yes, we're coming to a new chapter in James's letter, and with it comes a major shift in James's thought. We've just finished a longer section in James dealing with faith and works, and how if we have true faith, how that transforms us. Now, James is going to introduce the next theme this morning, and he's going to spend 12 verses on his next theme. We're going to spend today and the next two weeks after today looking at this particular theme. Now, to introduce the theme, I have a question for you, and it's this, friends. What is the scariest thing you've ever had to give an account for? 
What is the scariest thing in your life you've ever had to give an account for? Maybe it was when you were a child and you broke that precious family heirloom or that thing of value in the house and you heard your parents call your name and went, "Uh uh-oh, they're coming. You knew you had to give an account for what had happened. Perhaps you're out back playing ball and your ball went through the neighbor's window and you knew when the neighbor next door got home from work, you would have to give an account to him of breaking his window. Maybe it's when you were a student and you had that dreaded call to the principal's office. Or when you were in college, the dreaded call to the dean's office. Maybe it's when you were an adult, the scariest thing you had to give an account for was to a boss who didn't think you were doing a good job and called you in about not meeting your goals or about your performance. Maybe you even had to give an account before a government authority for a ticket, a citation, or standing before a judge. Because what is it in your life that has been the scariest thing you've ever had to give an account for? Now, with that in view, James is going to introduce this next section and remind us that we will all give an account before God one day. And when we stand before God one day, the, what will be the thing from our lives that will be the scariest thing we'll have to give an account for? What will be the thing when you have to answer before God one day for how you followed him? What will be the scariest thing from your life that you most dread, in a sense, having to give an answer for? Well, I want to suggest and what James suggests from these next 12 verses that perhaps what we need to be most concerned about giving an account for is not what typically comes to mind, and that's our speech, our tongue, our words, what we say, what we write. That's what James is going to talk about for these next 12 verses. Now, James, this is not a new idea. James, in chapter 1, introduces several of the themes that he's going to talk about throughout the letter, including what we're going to see here. And he's introduced this idea already in James chapter 1, verse 19. And what you see it on the screen, or you can look in your copy of God's Word. But James chapter 1, verse 19, he introduces this idea of his speech. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, there's the foundation for us, and friends, this is really important. So I want us to say it together. If you're here in the room with me or in the gym or at home, I want us to read this out loud. So would you read this with me? Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, friends, I need that to sink into my heart. And if you're like me, I suspect you probably need that reminder as well, because our human nature is so quick to do the opposite, isn't it? We are so quick to speak and so slow to listen. We flip that around. Now, with that as the foundation, James is going to elaborate on that over these next three weeks. He gives us the longest teaching anywhere in Scripture on the tongue and on our speech. And he's going to show us how we're going to give an account before God for our speech. He's going to show us what we'll see next week, the great harm our words can do and how we really can't change ourselves, how we need grace to be changed. He's going to show us our helplessness. He's also going to show us then what we're going to see in two weeks what our words can do and what they are to be used for. So friends, I'm excited about these weeks as we look through these 12 verses, and I pray they'll be formative for me and for you as well. Now, as we begin today, I want to go and tell you what I want you to see in our verses this morning, and it's simply this. Here's our main idea for today. We will give an account before God for all of our words. Real straightforward and simple, but this is how James introduces this thought, that we all, every single one of us, will give an account before God for all of our words. That we will all stand before a holy God one day in all of his holiness and glory and brilliance. And we will stand before him. We'll have to give an answer for all of the words we've spoken in this life. For what we've said, what we've written in, yes, friends, for what we've posted online as well. We will all give an account before God for all of our words. I want you to see that in James chapter 3 this morning. And to show this this morning, we're going to look at one and a half verses of James. Yes, you heard right. One and a half verses. Of a verse. Now, why only half of a verse for our second verse this morning? 
I want to remind us when the Bible was written, there were no chapter divisions. There were no verse notations. Those were added later to serve us and to help us find things. So I can tell you, find James chapter 3, verse saying, flip to two, you see the sentence. That would take us forever to find things. So the translators have added the chapters and the verses to help us. Now, normally they break in a really good place. This week, chapter 2, or chapter 3, verse 2, does not break very well because the first half of verse 2 ties into what we're seeing this morning with verse 1, and the second half of that ties in more to the power of the tongue and our inability to change ourselves. So unlike our traditional way of doing things, I'm going to stop in half of a verse this morning, but don't worry, we're going to get the other half of the verse next Sunday. So let's look at James chapter 3, verses 1, and the first half of chapter 2. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to do so where you are? James chapter 3, 1 and 2. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your Word. God, we don't say that lightly. Lord, we We are thankful that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, that you've not hidden yourself from us, but God, you've revealed to us your very clear, plain, straightforward word. God, I pray we would treasure that this morning and treasure that always to realize that we get to read your revelation, your inspired words, your unerring words, Lord, your unchanging words, and that we would treasure what we get to look at even this morning, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. So James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, James begins his new section on speech with this warning about desiring to be teachers. Now, what a strange way to begin a teaching on the tongue about warning people about desiring to be teachers. Now, what's he doing here? So before we check out and go, great, I'm not a teacher, I'm okay on this, I want you to realize this applies to all of us, and I want you to see what he's doing here by emphasizing teachers from the beginning. Look back at the very beginning of verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Now, why does he start here? I think there's three really good reasons why James starts with addressing teachers when he's really thinking about all of us and the power of our speech. Number one, he's getting their attention. He's getting the attention of his readers. They're already two chapters in. He's been teaching a lot as they're reading this letter through the first time. So he arrests their attention. I mean, how many times when you were in school did a lecture or class or even a sermon or a Bible message you heard have something to catch your attention in the beginning? A poem, a story, something to kind of engage you on that. And you hear, wow, I wasn't expecting that. I need to listen up. Two chapters in, now three chapters in, that's what James is doing. He's arresting their attention. He introduces a new idea. He says, my brothers. Anytime you see my brothers in James, that's his cue that he's getting a new teaching that's transitioning to something different. He doesn't say my brothers. You, not many of you should try to be teachers. He says, not many of you should become teachers. Now, this would surprise them. What's he doing? So he's not just getting their attention. Second of all, he's getting their attention with a warning they needed to hear. He's getting their attention with a warning they needed to hear. He's not just doing some cute poem or some funny story to help them engage. He's bringing up a known problem in the community. They would go, wait, wait, there is a problem here, and he's speaking about what we're going through. So they're tuning in. And the problem that he was addressing is that people wanted to be teachers in the early church, but for the wrong reasons. There was an abundance of people who wanted to be the teachers of the early church, but for the wrong reasons. Now, to understand why this was a problem, we have to understand the role of teachers at the time. Remember what we saw when we started James. James is writing to Christians out of a Jewish background. So they've been heavily influenced by the Jewish culture. So you need to understand how teachers were viewed in the Jewish culture at the time. In the Jewish culture, the teachers were revered. They weren't just respected. They were revered. They were called rabbis, which literally means my great one. Now, who wouldn't want to be called that? To have people come to you, my great one. Like, you can see what would be happening in the human heart when that is how they were perceived. Now, the rabbis, the teachers, were tasked with passing on the sacred tradition. They were essential in the community. 
They didn't have Google back then. Hey, Google, tell me where this verse is. It says, like, there was none of that. They didn't have the books we have and the, the libraries and the resources we have. So the teachers were essential for the community, for people to know and learn the truth from God. And so the position was respected and it was revered. In fact, it was so revered that in the culture at the time, you, the people were taught that their duty to their rabbi exceeded their duty to their parents. They had a greater obligation to take care of their rabbi than they had to even take care of their own parents. That's how the position was viewed in the culture at the time. So in a natural but very simple way, it became easy for people in the church to want to be teachers because they wanted prestige, because they wanted honor, because they wanted influence, because they had pride in their heart, they wanted self-exaltation. I want you to see this was a problem at the time. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 23, verses 6 and 7. In Matthew 23, Jesus is talking about the rabbis at the time. He says, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. And they love being called rabbi by others. So that was what was happening in the culture. And unfortunately, just like it happens today, friends, the culture was infiltrating the church. In the early church, people had that same longing to be greeted for their position and to be given the best seats of honor. And so James addresses it. He starts with teachers to teach us about the tongue, to get our attention, and to address a real problem at the time. But number three, why does he start with teachers? He's using them as a case study. Think back to your college days or your high school days. How many classes did you have case studies in? You'd have the theory and the teaching on it, and then they give you some case study to go, oh, that's how it connects to real Life. That's in a sense what James is doing here. He, the teachers are a fantastic case study to think about on the tongue because their job is talking. And because they talk so much, there's much potential for harm and for dangerous speech. I ran across a quote this week that said, more words can mean more errors. I think that's true. Isn't that true in your life like as in mine? The more we talk, the more prone we are to errors. More words can mean more errors. And so what James does, he takes a position where people are aware that people are more prone to misspeak because they talk so much. That's their job. And he calls attention to that as a case study, if you will, here. So let's think about the power of our words and how quickly we can fail in them. So how do we know this applies to us and not just to the teachers? Well, look back at verse 1 here. This is not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged, notice this, with greater strictness. He doesn't say we who teach will be judged, period. It says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That means all are still going to be judged for their speech, not just the teachers. The teachers will be judged with a greater level of strictness because of their potential for harm in their speech. But the fundamental truth remains the same for every believer. We will all be judged for our speech. We all will give an account before a holy God for all of our words. Now, friends, this is not a new truth here. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For you know... How would they have known, and how would we have known that our words will be judged by God? Well, we know because Jesus had already taught us. James is writing after Jesus had already taught, and so Jesus had already established the foundation for this. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. Jesus is, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account, notice this, for every careless word they speak. Because we need to let that truth sink into our hearts. That on the day of judgment, we will give an accounting before a holy God for every careless word we speak. Then in verse 37, Jesus continues, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now this should sound familiar to what we just finished the last several weeks in James. What does it mean by your words you will be justified? This is not justified in the saving sense. This is justified in the sense 
that we saw last week of the common culture that means to be verified, to be proven, to be shown to be true. What Jesus is saying is on the day of judgment, your words are going to reveal whether or not you'd receive God's grace. Your words will be used to show has your heart been changed by God, that your words are an indication of our hearts. And that's what Jesus said in the two verses right before this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He's speaking to the teacher at the time, and Jesus does not mince words, does he? You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? And it says, for out of the abundance of what? The abundance of what? The heart, the mouth and speaks. The mouth is just speaking what's in our heart. You know, we may say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. We may regret saying it, but we meant to say it because it came out of the heart. If it comes out of our mouth, it was already in our heart when it came out. Next verse in verse 35. Jesus says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. It's not the only place Jesus taught this. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, you see it there as well. Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. Yeah, our words show our heart, and this defies a person. Friends, we need to let that truth sink in. I can't see your heart, and you can't see my heart. So if we want to know what our heart is like, think about our words this past week. Over the last seven days, what has come out of our mouth? How have we spoken to our spouses? How have we spoken to our kids, our co-workers, our friends? What are the jokes we've laughed at? What are the jokes we've told? What are the quotes from movies we've repeated? What have we said about other people when they're not around? What have we posted on our social media posts? Friends, if we want to know what our heart's like, look at what's coming out of our mouth. And James reminds us that people had already been taught that the day will come when we as believers stand before God and give an account for all of our words. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 reminds us of this. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I've seen this before, friends. I want to remind us, this is not an accounting for salvation. This is not explaining works, hoping we're going to get into heaven. Because our salvation is secure, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us in taking our place, because of the grace God has given us. This is not an accounting for salvation. This is an accounting for our lives and how we follow God, how we've obeyed him. This is an accounting that determines Rewards. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 tells us the same thing. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what his due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul explains some more in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 also. He says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If, that, if the word that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss. Now notice this. This is why it's not salvific. Though he himself will be saved, but it's only through fire. That even as believers, we, it's not that we've, we're get, we, got, we got out of hell, we're going to heaven, we can got to live like I want now. We will still give an account before God, particularly for our speech, but for all of our lives. Now, friends, this raises a big question for us. If we're going to give an account before a holy God of all of our words, what then is the standard for us? What is the standard for our speech? Well, James doesn't address that. He doesn't go into the detail of what that standard is, but we've seen it before. Can I remind us of what we saw when we studied Ephesians last year? When we were studying Ephesians, Paul addressed very specifically God's standard for our speech. If you remember the pattern of Ephesians, there's a put-off aspect to what we're supposed to do and a put-on aspect that we're to put off. We're to rid our lives of certain things that are not Christ-like, and we're to put on things in our lives that are Christ-like, put off and put on. And that's true. What is God's standard for our speech? Well, is that pattern as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 reminds us to put off 
your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. So what is our speech to be like? Well, part of our speech is to put off. If we're in Christ, the part of our speech that is from the world, that is not of Christ, God says to seek his grace to put it off. Now, what would that include? Well, there's many examples, and I want to just mention a few from Ephesians. You'll see them on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, so what we're to put off, we're to put off any type of false speech, lying, things that are deceitful, things that are dishonest. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So anything that is corrupting, that is rotten, that destroys, that tears down, that hurts others, that is not godly is to be put off. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Notice that second word, let how much of this? What's the second word there? How much? All, not just some, but all. Anything that's bitter needs to go away from our speech. Anything that's wrathful has to go away. Anything that's this sinful anger here, let me remind us that clamor means yelling. There's no place in the life of a Christian for us to be yelling, to be slandering. All that we're to put off from our, because it's of our old nature. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, more examples here. But there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. All those were to seek God's grace to put off. And then the last one, Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, to put off speech that hurts our families. Friends, we could go on and on, but I think you get the sampling and you get the idea. When God holds us accountable before his holy throne one day, we will give an account for any type of words we have spoken that are like what I just mentioned. Things that are deceitful, things that tear down others, things that are angry, things that are bitter, things that are profane, things that are yelling, things that provoke others. We're to put all of that off and we will have to give an answer for how we've done that. If you remember when we saw in Ephesians, holiness is not just putting off sin. Holiness is putting on the replacement Christ-like virtue. That goes for our speech as well, friends. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, we're told to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So God will give, will give an account before God of the things in our speech that we did not put off. We also give an account of whether we put on the Christ-like speech. What would that include? Well, again, many examples, but very quickly from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That we're to be truthful, we're to be correct and precise and accurate in our speech. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. We're to speak only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So we're to speak things that build, that help, that teach, that encourage, that give grace to others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Our speech should be full of kindness, of gentleness. Our speech should be full of forgiveness when others have wronged us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, um, let there be thanksgiving, that our hearts should be full of thankfulness to God and thankfulness to one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. We're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our speech should be full of praises of God as we sing together, as we speak of God's greatness with one another. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul continues, after he tells us not to provoke our children, he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, let this sink in. We will give an account to God for whether our speech to our kids was building them up in the ways of God. And lastly, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So that in keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
Our speech should be full of prayers, especially prayers for one another. Again, we can go on and on, but that gives us a glimpse of the type of speech that we're to be putting on in our lives. So again, friends, we will give an account before God. Did our speech, by His grace, put off those things? And did our speech put on what we just looked at as well? So that's the big question for us, friends. Is that what my speech looks like, and is that what your speech looks like as well? And the reality check here from James is that so often it doesn't. We all fall so short in our speech. Look at verse 2 of James chapter 3, back to our text for this morning. It says, For we all stumble in many ways. So three important words here in this short little verse. First is the word all, and in the Greek, all means all. Okay? We all stumble in many ways. I stumble in my, my speech, you stumble in your speech. Okay, those of you here, look around the room for a minute. And those in the gym, look around the room. Use at home, look around. Yeah, everyone you see, they struggle with their speech too, okay? We all, every single one of us, no matter how much we've matured in our faith, I see some brothers poking each other on this one over here, um, we all struggle in our speech. There's none of us who have arrived, and we're going to see a lot more on this next week. We all struggle with this. And the next word here in this verse, we all stumble. Stumble literally means to trip. But it's used in the scripture to mean to sin. Literally, we all sin, next phrase, in many ways. Even as followers of Christ, even followers of Christ who have walked with the Lord for many years, we still struggle, we still sin with our words on this. This is not unique to us, friends. I mean, think about the prophet Isaiah. We looked at Isaiah 6 when we were starting the COVID trial. Do you remember when prophet Isaiah was describing himself? He says, woe is me. What's the very first thing? He says, I'm a man of unclean, What? Lips. I, I mean, Isaiah recognized, we saw the holiness of God, that his speech was problematic. You look at Moses, who God used to deliver God's people. And Psalm 106 says he's a man who spoke rashly with his, what? His lips, that he spoke rashly. The apostle Peter in Matthew 26 is boasting, I'll never fall away. And then he falls away. We see even in some of the great leaders of, throughout God's people's history, a struggle with their tongues. And James puts himself in that group, look at verse 2. For we all, and say you all, and say y'all here, he says we all. He's including himself in this. This guy who was the brother of Jesus, who's writing this letter to us, who was the great leader of the early church, who saw the church and navigated the church through all these controversies, who really established the church in Jerusalem. He includes himself. We all stumble. We all sin in many ways. He's saying, I am with you. I sin too with my lips. He was not above his own struggles. We all stumble in many ways. So what is the hope, friends? You struggle with your speech. I struggle with my speech. There's things in all of our speech that we need to put off that we're not putting off. There's things in our speech we need to put on that we're not putting on. What is the hope? We're going to go a lot deeper into that next week. So even though it's Fourth of July weekend, I hope you'll be back because we're going to look a lot more at the hope of how God can change our speech. But I want to point us to that hope this morning. And that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. In 1 Peter chapter 21, I want you to see something here. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, what's the example of Christ? Look at verse 22. He committed no sin. And now, look at the example that Peter uses. Neither was the seat found in what? His mouth. The example that Peter holds up to show us the sinlessness of Christ and the holiness of Christ. And he points us to the words of Christ. Friends, we serve the one who never sinned every, even one time with his words. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Friends, do you realize that in all the ways that Christ was tempted and tried, he never one time stumbled, even in a little way in his words. He never 
He never said anything that should have been put off, and he never failed to say anything that should have been put on. He perfectly modeled his speech. And that was, friends, not just to be an example for us, though it is. He did it so he could perfectly fulfill the law, to go to that cruel cross and take the punishment we deserve for all the times you and I have fallen in our speech, all the times we have offended God with our speech. Christ took that punishment we deserve, and he did that because he was the perfect sacrifice. And that's the very next verse of 1 Peter 2. In verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Friends, that's the good news for us, is that Christ has already taken the penalty. If you are in Christ, he's already paid for. It is finished for every simple word you've spoken and will speak. For every time you should have put on righteous speech and you did not, he's taken the penalty for that. It is forgiven. As we've seen throughout Scripture, forgiveness is not permission to sin. When God forgives us, he also gives us a new nature and a new heart that longs for him. The grace we receive at salvation is just a start. He gives grace upon grace upon grace to keep conforming us and molding us into greater Christ-likeness. With that in view, friends, let's go back to our idea for the morning. We all will give an account before God for all of our words. So I want to ask you, if you are in Christ this morning, friends, how are you doing Finding God's strength and God's grace to put off sinful patterns of speech. Are you finding conviction of sin when you've fallen short to put off speech that is wrong? And are you finding a God-given desire, a Holy Spirit-given desire in your heart to want to put on speech that glorifies God, speech that builds up others, speech that encourages others? How are we doing putting off sinful speech and putting on Christ-like speech? I want you to think on that one this week. I have a second question, and this may not apply to everyone in the room. But it applies to some of us. For those of us on social media, which again, I know is not all of you. There's some of you in here who don't like to live in the cloud, and I get that. For those of you on social media, how are we doing with our speech online? Where it's so easy sometimes to restrain our speech around people. It seems like when we get behind the anonymity of a keyboard and the safety of a keyboard, the stuff that comes out of our mouth, even the mouths of Christians, is far from what James has in view here. So we think about what we post online for those of you like me who are on social media and whatever platform you use. I'm concerned that the lure of the, these believers in the early church is the same for us. They wanted to be teachers because they wanted to be heard, because they wanted authority, because they wanted that type of influence. And I'm concerned that for Christians today in our culture, the lure of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these things is the same temptation that was for them. We want to be heard. We want to have that voice. We want to have that influence. We want people to notice us. And why is it that when we post things, what's the first thing we start looking at? How many people have liked this? How many people have followed this? How many people have responded to this? I'm concerned that we, our hearts are just like the hearts of the people in the early church who are longing to be heard. And so we're going to step out on this platform to try to become teachers online in a sense. And if that's you, if you're online in that way, let me just remind us that those who seek to teach will be judged with greater strictness. I just want to call those of us who try to use that platform to make sure we're realizing the significance of our words, that we're checking our words with Scripture, and that we're pausing to think about our motivations. Now, back to all of us, whether or not you're on social media or not. We all will give an account before the Lord one day. What will it be like on that day when we have to stand before the God who we've just been singing about, who is so glorious, who is so holy, who has loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, who has rescued us from our sins, who gives us a way out every time there's a temptation, the one who has forgiven us of these sins, the one who's calling us to holiness, and who has given us our words as a stewardship to use to make him known, to use to build up others, to use to serve people. What will it be like for you and for me on that day? We give an account for how we stewarded 
the words that he has given to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word, and Lord, we're thankful that you love us so much that you show us what your will is and your plan for us. We're thankful that you love us so much you convict us where we fall short, and Lord, we all fall short. Lord, as we just seen, we all stumble in many ways. And Lord, we just confess this morning, as your people, Lord, we all struggle with our speech in different ways. I know it's going to be different for each one of us in this room, but Lord, none of us have arrived. So Lord, we ask for grace this day. Lord, we ask for forgiveness this day, Lord, for the ways that we've used our speech in ways that are of the old nature, for ways our speech have hurt other people, Lord, for the ways our speech have hurt our families, Lord, for the way our speech has created division, for the way our speech has been self-exalting and prideful, for the way our speech has not been of you, Lord, we confess that today. Lord, if there's specific things in my life and the life of these precious brothers and sisters here and online, Lord, if there's specific ways to where we've sinned in our speech that we have not confessed to you and sought your forgiveness for, I pray today you wouldn't quit pursuing us till we confess that to you. I think of what King David said, Lord, forgive my hidden faults. Lord, we use words so much every day. There may be things, the ways we've sinned that we're not even aware of. And I pray today in your love for us, that your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, your children, will show us ways that we're sinning in our speech, that we might repent of those and seek your grace to grow in them so that we can grow in Christ's likeness, growing into who you've made us to be, growing into how you already see us. Lord, we're so thankful that when you look at us, you don't see us in all of our failings. God, you see us covered in Christ's righteousness. But it's, it's incredible to realize that even though we've all sinned in our speech this week, that we can walk in to your throne room of grace right now. God, we're not struck dead because of our sinful speech this week. But God, we're welcomed. Because all those sins have already been paid for by Christ and all of Christ's righteousness has been given to us. So when you look at us, Father God, you see Christ. Oh Lord, may we treasure that thought this day to know that you don't see us in all of our sins and failure, but you see us covered in Christ's righteousness. And Lord, I pray that that truth would make us long even more to experience practically today and this week how you already see us, a people holy and set apart for you. So God, we ask for much grace today and all this week to have our tongues restrained, that we might become a people who are quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, that we might be able to use our speech in a way that would please you, that would make you known and build up others so that your kingdom advances and we find all the joy of our tongues being controlled by you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold my hope is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to his and oh how strange and divine I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. 
For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. been one and I shall overcome yet not I but through Christ in me no fate I dread I know I am forgiven the future sure for the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this I hold my sin has been defeated and Jesus chains are released and I can sing I am free and not I but through Christ in me through Christ in me with every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, for my hope is only Jesus, and all the glory evermore to Him. And when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. To this I hold, for my hope is only Jesus, and all the glory evermore to Him. And when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Father, what hope we've just declared in that song. 
that the hope for our tongues, our speech, the hope for us walking with you is nothing in us. It's not self-effort. It's not white-knuckle determination. I'm just going to try harder. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. God, I pray this week you would give us much grace to remember that truth we have just sung. God, you would guard us from pride and guard us from those thoughts that I can just somehow get better if I just try harder. God, I pray that today and all this week as we realize the feebleness of our tongues and our struggle to walk with you, God, that you would let us see the hope is not as the hope is you. And I pray this week we would experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit taking control of our tongues and our thoughts and our lives that we might find the strength we need to walk with you. We know as that happens, God, that we'll get the joy. And God, you will get all the glory. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great day.